From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Wednesday edition, as President Biden arrived in Brussels within the last hour for meetings with his European counterparts about the crisis in Ukraine, concern over what is happening in Ukraine is growing. The devastation and suffering in Mariupol and Kharkiv raise grave fears about the fate of millions of residents of Kyiv and other cities facing intensifying attacks. With State Department spokesman Ned Price, we'll get the latest from Ukraine with a live update from George Thomas, who is in Kyiv, Ukraine, in just a moment. And the confirmation hearing of President Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Katanji Brown-Jackson, is scheduled to wrap up later this evening in the Senate Judiciary Committee. What we heard, what we've heard so far, has been quite revealing. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. Well, we'll take a look at other things she admittedly does not know later with House Judiciary Committee member Congressman Dan Bishop of North Carolina. Also, is civics education legislation being advanced through Congress the left's new Trojan horse for their liberal indoctrination? We'll talk about it with Stanley Kurtz, senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. And a state of emergency in Miami Beach. We can't, we can't endure this anymore. We just simply can't. Uh, this isn't your father's or uh, mother's spring break. This is something wholly different. That was Miami Beach Mayor Dan Gilber. The unprovoked violence in Miami Beach over the weekend reflects what is happening around the country as homicide rates have increased significantly in the last two years and some cities are setting records already in 2022. What's behind the growing violence and the lawlessness in America? We're going to talk about it on today's Washington Watch. Jason Johnson, former deputy police commissioner for Baltimore and president of the Law Enforcement Legal Fund, joins us later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Our verse for today, coming from Stand on the Word, our two-year journey through the Bible, is found in Numbers chapter 20, it's verse 22 today. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. You know, Moses, because he did not believe and honor God, was not able to enter the promised land. And the Lord explained why. Our trust in and obedience to him communicates our reverence for him to a watching world, which matters to God. To join us in this two-year Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, earlier today, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced in a statement that the U.S. government assesses that members of Russia's forces have committed war crimes in Ukraine. The announcement comes as Russia's brutal attacks on the Ukrainian cities of Mariupol and Kharkiv are raising concerns for other cities and millions there. Joining us now to talk about the latest developments in Ukraine is George Thomas, senior international correspondent at CBN News, who is reporting live from Kyiv, Ukraine. George, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, thank you so much for having me back on the show. Always a pleasure, sir. So give us the latest of what's happening on the ground there in Ukraine. Yeah, so this is the second week uh, that uh, we have had uh, 35 uh, 
hour curfew. Uh, it started uh, uh, on Monday, ended on Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Uh, and they had one of these, uh, Tony, last week. And in that 35-hour period, the Ukrainians uh, managed to push uh, the Russians further back uh, away from the Russian capital, I mean, from the Ukrainian capital. They did the same again this uh, second time around, uh, using the curfew, getting everybody off the streets. Uh, and so they went after Russian forces in Bucha, as well as Erpin and Homostel and Gomel, as well as uh, to the east uh, near the Brovari area, and then also further down south, to Kherson. You know, Kherson is the only city uh, that the Russians have uh, 28 days into their invasion that they've managed to, uh, to capture. Well, the Ukrainians have gone on the offensive, clearly, in both the, in all three of these areas. And in fact, there is reporting that in the northwest quadrant of Kyiv, uh, about 30 kilometers uh, uh, from, from where I am, uh, the Ukrainians have managed to surround, to encircle uh, the Russians uh, in Bucha as well as Erpin. You remember these two towns uh, pretty much saw the, the beginning of the war 28 days ago, and they've been bombarding uh, Erpin and Bucha ever since. And right now, uh, the reporting is that the Ukrainians have managed to uh, encircle them. And I think in the days ahead, you're going to see them go after their supply lines uh, and, in essence, uh, uh, you know, uh, starve them uh, from, from food as well as military uh, ammunition and other, other pieces of equipment. It's just absolutely stunning that you have the second largest uh, military in the world, uh, in essence, stuck in their operation. That is the word used by German Chancellor Olaf, who in essence said that the Ukrainians are stuck. And in fact, there's also new reporting tonight that uh, Russians in the, on the northern part of Kyiv are actually um, totally beginning to uh, de uh, create defensive positions. They're defending themselves, uh, their positions, as opposed to moving forward, as we have seen over the last 28 days, attempts to move forward. Uh, George, NATO estimated earlier today that somewhere between 7,000 and 15,000 Russian soldiers have been killed in these yeah. uh, four weeks of battling in Ukraine. Now, to put that in perspective, uh, Russia lost 15,000 men in Afghanistan over a 10-year period. What are you seeing and hearing there on the ground? Yeah, very much the same. In fact, the Ukrainians put that number close to about 16,000 uh, dead. Now, you know, we're not quite sure specifically if they're including dead and injured, uh, uh, wounded rather. But it's interesting, a pro-Kremlin tabloid uh, about 24, 48 hours ago, I don't know, by accident, they leaked information uh, showing that the Russians had indeed lost about 10,000 uh, of uh, their forces and about 16,000 uh, have been injured, which is just absolutely stunning, really is. And in fact, they've also lost five to six top generals in the process. And part of the reason uh, is that these, these, these soldiers are just not prepared. Uh, they are not prepared. And so the Russian uh, uh, the, the military strategists are, are, in essence, forced to put their commanding officers at the spear, the tip of the spear, in essence, as opposed to commanding and directing, giving orders from the back. And so they're going into the battle being the tip of the spear and in the process getting uh, killed uh, in action. The reporting is that five to six of their top generals uh, have, uh, have died. There is also reporting uh, that the Russians are, because of this 
mass casualty. They're beginning to move uh, more troops into, into the theater. And then there is also concern that Belarus, uh, Ukraine's neighbor to the north, uh, could potentially get involved in the conflict, perhaps uh, send three waves uh, of soldiers, each wave containing close to about 5,000 uh, troops that would come and reinforce the Russians uh, in the north of Kyiv, uh, as well as perhaps go to the western part uh, of the country, uh, putting Lviv uh, potentially in the crosshairs. Uh, George Thomas, any, I mean, you, you mentioned that the, the, there's desperation. I mean, clearly, uh, all of the military yeah. experts are saying Russia did not expect this level of resistance from the Ukrainians. But this, as desperation sits, sets in, not only are you going to see more military people pulled in on the ground, but there's concern now about the use of chemical weapons and even possibly the use of nuclear weapons. What, what, uh, what yeah. are you hearing there in Ukraine? Yeah, I mean, look, this is the this is the playbook. I say this all the time. This is the playbook of the Russians. We've seen it uh, when they did it in Syria. We saw it in in Chechnya. We saw it in Georgia, uh, and we saw it in 2014 in the eastern part of the country. They they escalate in order to try to de-escalate and in the process get uh, Zelensky and others to the negotiating table. Clearly, look, when you when you are the attacker and you are not making the sort of military progress and fulfilling the operations of your commanding general in 28 days, uh, you know, uh, there is a sense of frustration. That is clearly happening. You can see it uh, between the deaths to the, uh, the attrition rates, to those who are just abandoning their trucks, abandoning their military equipment, hardware, their ammunition, and walking off the battlefield, all of that. It, the concern is that, and we've seen it in the last two weeks, and I have reported from the scenes of uh, high-rise, 15-story apartment complexes completely destroyed, innocent civilians. There's no military operations taking place in these areas. These are the signs of a desperate uh, 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 tactician who, in essence, uh, is deciding that they're going to instill fear by going after civilian targets in a way to uh, suppress them uh, in the process. There is some concern that the Russians are positioning uh, their, their assets uh, within a, a missile as well as artillery fire of uh, key cities like uh, Kyiv, Mariupol, Kharkiv, Donetsk, and so forth. And uh, there is talk now the Department of Defense uh, is in serious consultation with uh, NATO allies to provide the Ukrainians long-range surface-to-air uh, uh, capabilities that would allow them to intercept some of these longer missiles, artillery uh, that the Russians have. George, any uh, feedback there on the ground in Ukraine coming from the announcement today by the Biden administration uh, that their assessment is that there are individuals from the Russian military that is engaged in war crimes? Uh, I mean, if you look at the definition of the uh, of the of, of what the ICC, the International Criminal Court, uh, defines as war crimes, uh, we have seen that in the last 28 days. I mean, look, I've been, like I said, I've been Tony to several of these locations, and you can clearly tell that there there is no absolutely no evidence that the Ukrainians were using a, a mall. I was at a mall, a big mall on the northwest quadrant of, uh, of Kyiv earlier this week, the Retroville Mall. There was no evidence that the Ukrainians were, were using it as uh, for human shields. Look, I've reported from Gaza during the uh, Israeli-Gaza war, and I remember being in downtown Gaza, and my hotel 
was filled with journalists. And at the bottom of our hotel, Hamas was using our hotel, uh, the lobby, the basically the, 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 the underground uh, parking lot, uh, to launch missiles, to launch uh, missiles into Israel. We were human shields. There is no evidence that the Ukrainians are using uh, uh, civilians to hide behind in order to launch their attacks against uh, against the Russians. So, uh, uh, you know, there, there are professional investigators who do this for a living. They are going meticulously from every single city, town, village where Russians have, uh, have, uh, uh, have launched their attacks and they're documenting it for the purposes of bringing this to the International Criminal Court. Mm -hmm. And the evidence from Boris Johnson to the president of the United States to other world leaders who have said that what Russia is doing is tantamount uh, to war crimes. Uh, George Thomas, I want to thank you for staying up late. I know it's late there in Ukraine. Uh, very quickly, uh, 20 seconds left. How sure. can um, Christians here in America be praying for our, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine? Hey, Tony, I have seen some remarkable, heroic uh, uh, acts of valor by Christians uh, who are, uh, you know, they're busy driving, going into these dangerous hotspots, these dangerous places like Erpin Bucha, Chernihiv, Mariupol, risking their lives to get people out. And then the churches have mobilized across the country, providing their churches being refuge for those who are transitioning to the West. Incredible. Be encouraged. The Church of Jesus Christ today in Ukraine is blossoming in the midst of war. They are being the hands and feet of Jesus. And I see it all over around the world, whether it's Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, whenever there's conflict, the church always rises to the occasion uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we'll continue to pray that they continue in that. Uh, George, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. Folks, stick with us. We come back after the break with Congressman Dan Bishop of North Carolina. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. 
to get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications. Sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson began the third day of her confirmation hearings today by finishing the first round of questioning that began yesterday before going to a second round of questioning with all 22 members of the Senate Judiciary Committee given 20 minutes to question the judge. Now, there were some interesting questions and answers. When does life begin? In your opinion? Senator, um, I don't know. <laughs> Ma'am? I don't know. Joining me now to give his analysis of the hearing so far is Congressman Dan Bishop, who is a member of the House Judiciary Committee. He's also a member of the Homeland Security Committee. He represents the 9th Congressional District of North Carolina. Congressman Bishop, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. I'm so glad to be back with you. Well, there's a few things we've found out so far that the the uh, nominee does not know, um, doesn't doesn't know when life begins. And uh, let me play a clip from Senator Marsha Blackburn asked a pretty straightforward question. Uh, play clip number two, please. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N- not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. Of- so, Congressman Bishop, what do you make of that? Wow, Tony. I, you know, it, I've seen enough. Uh, it really, it, how many questions do you need answered like that? Uh, you, there was also the interaction with Senator Cotton over uh, her, her great empathy for uh, child sexual predators, uh, people spreading uh, pornographic poison uh, in the, of the gross, most gross kind on the internet. She, she seems to be uh, have sympathy for that kind of person. Uh, you know, this is someone who who should not be anywhere near the United States Supreme Court. I cannot conceive of any member of Congress, any many member of the Senate that would vote to confirm her to that position. So. I'm, I'm astonished. I think all Americans are, but this is kind of where we are in the country, Tony. And it is alarming. And just so there was fairness here, uh, Senator Cruz gave her a second bite at the apple, so to speak, on this issue of can you define a woman, which is, you know, quite frankly, to me, pretty easy. Uh, 
Uh, play clip number five. You told her that, that you couldn't define what a woman is, uh, that you were not a biologist, which, which I think you're the, the only Supreme Court nominee in history who's been unable to answer the question, what is a woman? It, th this is pretty basic. If you can't define woman, um, and, and I guess I could say, you know, she doesn't want to answer the question on when does life begin. She could put out some answer, but she didn't say anything on that. Um, I mean, where have, where's our legal system gone to if we can't have judges that can define what a woman is? It, it is where the woke left wants to take our judicial system, Tony. It's, in fact, it was the, the advertisement before your program began for FRC, I, you know, makes the point that there's the, the very essence, the very existence of truth is what is under attack in the postmodernist uh, cultural Marxist kind of system that the left is uh, currently pursuing. And she's an exponent of that. She's an articulator or, a, or a, she holds those views. And it just shows how extreme it is. You can't, I mean, as you say, perhaps she would say it would be inappropriate for me to articulate a view on the factual question of when life begins, because that question may come before the United States Supreme Court at some point. But if there's no, is there, is there no fact which is self-evident anymore? I mean, we, we always had in the law, as I practiced it, the notion of judicial notice. The court could take notice, didn't have to have evidence and try to prove a fact that everyone knows that is commonly accepted. And that, and if you can't say what a woman is, and indeed with the transgender ideology uh, gripping the left and trying to, be in, in which they intend to force on everyone else in the nation, they can't say what a woman is. So, Congressman Bishop, the, the Senate has 50 Democrats in the vice president. So the confirmation is really not in question um, if all the Democrats who seem to walk in lockstep uh, most of the time, although I, I do have to give uh, a shout out. Uh, you know, occasionally there is a Democrat who will break, uh, break ranks, uh, Joe Manchin being one of them. Um, but what should the American people take away from this? I mean, they're expecting the confirmation in, uh, before Easter for her to, uh, to, to go on to the bench. What should the American people take away from this episode? It, first of all, they ought to be concerned about what the American left is doing. What has the Democratic Party become? Um, why would Joseph, Joe Biden, the president of the United States, appoint someone with these radical views? Where have they gotten to be? That's important to know. And yes, as you say, we count to 50 and they've got the vice president that could make it 51. But what, what, frankly, I think uh, American Republican voters are going to have to watch and see whether Republican senators uh, are inclined to support her. Who will they be? Will it be Mitt Romney or uh, Susan Collins or, or Murkowski or who, uh, I was pleased to see Senator Graham, Lindsey Graham. He's, he's kind of got a habit of saying, you know, I, I think uh, uh, a Democratic president needs to be able to pick someone of the judicial philosophy he supports, and uh, if they got a good record, I'll support them. He's voted for, uh, I think he voted for Elena Kagan and, and for maybe for Sotomayor, I believe. But, uh, but th this, is, there no, is there no field too far? I just can't conceive of someone who has those views uh, being confirmed by any Republican senator uh, to the to the highest court in the land. Certainly hope not. 
Yes, and uh, as you pointed to where the Democratic Party has gone, this is a clear contrast between the ideology of the two major parties in this country, and it also speaks to the fact that uh, elections have significant and long-lasting consequences, uh, as we see here with the Supreme Court. Congressman Bishop, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for joining us. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today on Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate the time. Congressman Dan Bishop of North Carolina. Again, folks, this is one of those many, I should say, we're getting them almost every day, the uh, the contrast between the two parties. Not saying that the Republican Party is uh, perfect by any means, but you look at the, the, the two party platforms and the ideologies that they advance, they're becoming well, the, the difference is becoming clear with each passing day. All right, coming up next is civics education, the left's new Trojan horse. We'll talk about it after the break. Stay with us. Don't go away. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Around this time last year, a bill was introduced in Congress that would, in short, authorize the U.S. Secretary of Education to make grants to support educational programs in civics and history. While at first glance, the Civic Secures Democracy Act may appear innocuous, closer inspection reveals a doorway through which the left will be able to spread across the nation, the divisive teachings inspired by critical race theory. And with a plan underway to soon introduce a revised version of 
the bill. My next guest is warning Republicans not to be fooled. Support for the bill is support for CRT-infused, federally controlled curriculum. Joining me now to talk about this is Stanley Kurtz, Senior Fellow at Ethics and Public Policy Center, who has been tracking this closely. Stanley, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for having me, Tony. So apparently you did such a good job of sounding the alarm last year that they're now kind of cloaking this in uh, language that may fly under the radar. Tell our viewers about it. Well, Tony, the sponsors of this Civic Secures Democracy Act, which just as you say, it sounds like a civics and history bill, but it's actually a critical race theory bill. They have come back after all of this public criticism with a bill that seems innocent. Uh, it's had most of the obviously political language eliminated from it. But the truth is, if you know the, the uh, jargon of today's education left, it is still very much a critical race theory bill there's uh, the bill gives preference to any educational program that teaches civics and history to the underserved. Now, that sounds innocent enough. It seems as though it's just channeling federal money to schools uh, where uh, poor and minority students don't have the kind of funding that other students often do. But that's not actually what this bill means. In the, in the view of the current education left, the only way to reach poor and minority students with civics and history is to teach history and civics in a totally new way, the way that CRT teaches it, the way that the 1619 Project teaches it. The theory is that you'll only engage poor and minority students if you enroll them in a crusade to fight against America's institutional racism and to learn how to protest against it. So when a Republican looks at this bill, they just think it's giving some money to poor districts. But the truth of this bill is it's supporting CRT. And, and when it talks about civics, this isn't, uh, this isn't your, your father's civics. Uh, this is, in fact, I think really what would be helpful to many of these Republican lawmakers is a lexicon that allows them to understand how the left has uh, taken and redefined terms. Because when you talk about the action civics, this basically taking CRT to make people disgruntled about what America is and propel them into political and sometimes, uh, you know, I think some of what we saw in the streets of 2020 in the summer were a part of action civics that had been the seeds that have been planted in our schools over the last decade. That's right, Tony. The left, of course, is terribly clever with words, and they understand that when Republicans hear the word civics, they get a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling and think, I'm all for that, and I'm so glad that the Democrats have come around to appreciate civics. They can learn about federalism and checks and balances, but that's not what civics means anymore to the education left. They use that word, but they redefine it. They fill the vessel with something completely new, and that is CRT and this idea of action civics, which is really just requiring leftist protest. If you want to pass your civics class, you have to go out and protest. And of course, the teacher sees to it that your protest is always for something on the left. So we are thoroughly politicizing our schools. And the Biden administration would be in charge of doling out all of this money. And we've already seen uh, that they thoroughly support CRT. They've attacked parents as uh, domestic terrorists uh, uh, for uh, opposing CRT, Biden administration will ladle out all this money to the most radical leftist groups. So, so Stan, 
Stanley, we have parents that are now engaged at school board levels, bringing attention to this, but this then comes from the top down from the federal government, $600 million to, to fuel this CRT infused curriculum into the school. So this is uh, you know, kind of an outflanking maneuver of, of parents. So you need to be watching this at the federal level. What's the status and what can people do? Well, right now, the coalition that backs the Civic Secures Democracy Act is trying to essentially dupe uh, Republicans into co-sponsoring the bill. The bill, original bill was backed by uh, Senator Cornyn and Representative Tom Cole of Oklahoma. And then it uh, uh, received all of this criticism. Cornyn and Cole backed off. And now uh, the position of the coalition seems to be we're going to try to reintroduce this stealthier version of the bill, but only if we can get some additional Republicans. So what I'm trying to do is blow the whistle on this trick uh, language. So, so far as I know, the bill has actually not been introduced yet. The key is to inform Republican senators and uh, congressmen that they should not join in co-sponsorship of this bill. That's the way to stop it at this moment. All right. Well, we'll continue to track this and put out that word. Uh, the, the more we handle education at the local level, of course, my opinion is we handle it in the home. Uh, that's the best place. But next to that would be the local school board and not the federal government. Stanley Kurtz, always appreciate you coming on the program. You do great work. Thanks so much for uh, keeping our viewers and listeners informed. Thanks for having me, Tony. Absolutely. All right. Coming up, the city of Miami Beach has declared a state of emergency following multiple shootings over last weekend. And they're not the only part of the nation seeing a staggering rise in crime. We see carjackings at uh, historic levels. What's driving this wave that we're seeing almost in every state? We'll talk about it after the break. Don't go away. We're back with more Washington Watch right after this. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. 
Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side by side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Tony Perkins, and you are listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, it wasn't a police shooting that inspired the meltdown, the chaos. It was spring break. The mayor of Miami Beach declaring a state of emergency over the weekend. We can't, we can't endure this anymore. We just simply can't. Uh, this isn't your father's or uh, mother's spring break. This is something wholly different. What is driving the lawlessness and the breakdown of the moral order in society? Now, I've got a poll question for you. And before I get in, bring my next guest on and we have this conversation, uh, I, wa- I, I want you uh, to participate in this poll. Now, all you need to do is text the word poll, P-O-L-L, to 67742. That's 67742, the word poll. You'll get a text back that will give you the poll question. Here it is. What do you believe is the most significant contributing factor to the violence and lawlessness that is causing leaders like the mayor of Miami Beach to sound the alarm? Is it guns, lack of job opportunities, lack of educational opportunities, a loss of national morality built upon religion? Is it COVID-19 pandemic or is it something else? Text the word poll to 67742 and let me know what you think. Joining me now to discuss this is Jason Johnson, who served as a law enforcement officer and executive for more than 20 years before joining the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund as its president. Jason, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to be with you, Tony. So um, amid this rise in crime, I mean, we've seen violent crime has increased over the last two years, homicides. In fact, I was just reading uh, today um, in your former city where you were deputy uh, superintendent in, uh, in Baltimore, I believe, uh, gun violence over the weekend. Um, more concern there. Uh, what's driving this? What are you hearing on the ground from officers? Well, you know, it's a combination of two things, fundamentally. And this is this is true in many cities across America right now. It's a demoralization and disempowerment of police in the wake of what I think most people consider unfair criticism and being unfairly maligned in the wake of the death of George Floyd. Uh, but also it's equally important is the election of uh, social justice oriented prosecutors in, in so many cities, including 
Baltimore, but also in uh, Manhattan and in Los Angeles and Austin and Chicago and in many, many other cities that are averse to prosecuting criminals. Uh, and, and therefore, there's an atmosphere of, of permissiveness and lawlessness that there won't be any consequences or accountability. And uh, that's really the basis upon which uh, this crisis we're in is, is fixed. Yeah, I, I, th I clearly think that is true. When you look at what happened, and, and we talked about this, you were on the program when we were looking at what was taking place in the summer of 2020, uh, where there was the rioting in city after city after the shooting, you made reference to, to George Floyd. But here in, the, in Miami Beach, there was no shooting of a, by a police officer. There was, uh, there was nothing to spark outrage. It's just this meltdown of civility and moral order where there were, there were shootings periodically over the weekend, disregard for law enforcement. It's clearly being fed, as you said, by this disregard for law enforcement and permissive prosecutors. But, but there seems to be even more here. And, and I think we're at a tipping point that could be very dangerous for society as a whole. Well, <clears throat> I certainly agree, uh, Tony. I think it's become part of the culture. It's not, uh, it does not require any controversial police-involved incident to precipitate this kind of lawlessness. I think there's an understanding that police will be inclined to underreact because of the political environment, that the risk of an arrest, the risk of certainly of incarceration is low for all the reasons that I stated. And it's become, it's built into the culture at this point. It's extraordinarily difficult uh, now for law enforcement to come in and do a reestablish order. It's going to take more than that. Even yeah. if we can get that, which will be difficult enough, it's going to take more than that to uh, return our culture to more of a law, law and order uh, environment, particularly in, in the cities. And what's more, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to attract highly qualified men and women uh, to enter the law enforcement profession. So we see you know, law enforcement agencies across the country, including Miami, by the way, uh, that are understaffed uh, and, and their morale is low. And they're being told explicitly and implicitly uh, that they should restrain themselves from proactively enforcing the law and only react uh, when a crime has actually been committed. And I think you make a really good point that I think people need to understand this doesn't turn around overnight. Um, although we saw the manifestation of this lawlessness on the streets and we saw the call to defund law enforcement, that sent a message, which I think is going to have a lasting effect, as you said, not only upon the law enforcement community that feels betrayed by their elected leadership, but I think to the, to the American people as a whole. You know, President Biden in his State of the Union address uh, this year said we should all agree the answer is not to defund the police. The answer is to fund the police with the resources and training they need to protect our communities. And that sounds good, but a lot of the damage has already been done. How do this how does this party that's in control right now that has really embraced the defund the police uh, mantra? How do they work back from this? Well, it's difficult. And, you know, the president's choice of words was was uh, he very carefully chose his words where he's talking about funding and defunding uh, all along, uh, I guess, to President Biden's credit. He has rejected the idea of actually removing funding from law enforcement. However, he has embraced the idea of demoralizing and disempowering law enforcement just to fall in line with what the current 
uh, ultra-progressive left wants, uh, and in fact, within his own administration, uh, has mistreated federal law enforcement to the point where, you know, in one case, uh, several United States Marshals were sued in connection with their involvement in, in preventing and trying to restore order in Portland and during the Trump administration, where the Department of Justice, the, the Biden Department of Justice, isn't even providing legal representation to four wow. United States Marshals, which is, which is really an unprecedented move. And it really shows you where the administration actually stands when it comes to supporting law enforcement, federal law enforcement. Yeah. And to say that to say that he's against defunding just doesn't tell the whole story. It's kind of a way of acting like you're supporting law enforcement when in fact you really are not. Well, it's kind of like uh, drilling for oil, but not being for drilling for oil too. Um, but that's another story. Uh, hold that thought because I, I want to put out this poll question again. Text the word poll to 67742 and you'll get a link to the question. What do you believe is the most significant contributing factor to the violence and lawlessness that is causing leaders like the mayor of Miami Beach to sound the alarm. So text the word poll, P-O-L-L, to 67742 and take that poll question. Jason, you know, as a, f- a former law enforcement officer, I served in law enforcement. I know you spent 20 years in the law enforcement field. I don't think people understand the significance of what you were describing earlier when your administration, whether it's the higher ranks of the law enforcement department you're with, or whether it is the, you know, the city leadership or the state leadership, or as you were just describing the marshals, the federal leadership. And when you do your job, they don't have your back. And if you get in trouble or, you know, something happens, you're on your own. And and you think about this, law enforcement officers are not, I mean, the, the, the pay is not great. Uh, it's often, you know, you've got a retirement, but sometimes that's on the line. And you can get hurt, you can be out of a job, and if you, you don't feel like you have the confidence of knowing that your department is going to back you up, it leads to what you just described earlier at the beginning of our discussion, and that is you back down, you don't engage, and the criminals rule the day. You know, law enforcement officers, a significant portion of their work is done based on discretion. They make observations of criminal activity, and then they, based on their discretion, have to enforce the law. And then in some cases, when they go to make an arrest and they encounter resistance of one kind or another, they have to apply force in order to make an arrest. They have to overcome resistance. And so it, uh, law enforcement officers will take their cues from the elected officials and the leadership of their, their organizations on, on whether they're going to be supported if there's a highly controversial case. You know, typically now, you know, it would be a viral video that's circulated on social media and that puts great pressure on prosecutors to bring charges against law enforcement. Well, other law enforcement officers will will observe that closely. If they feel that uh, they won't be treated fairly if they themselves are involved in a situation like that, then they'll be very hesitant to put themselves in that position. And I think that is what we're seeing. I think you alluded to it, but I think that's what we're seeing on on a grand scale. And I think these officers are acting reasonably uh, when when they pull back a little bit. But I think when you multiply that across you know, the many, many thousands of law enforcement officers in our country, you, you do see the results in these crime numbers that you're, that you're uh, referencing. Absolutely. And it's, it's a tough job. It's one uh, grateful for the men and women who put on that uniform and go on the streets. And, and that is not to say that there, you know, we don't gloss over the fact that there are some bad apples, but I think the problem, Jason, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as they make it more of a challenge to recruit good men and women to this because they're demeaning the law enforcement community, not standing with them. We're going to see more bad apples drawn into the lot. 
And I think things, it becomes a downward spiral. Well, you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, we've been saying this all along that the, uh, you know, the effort, the strong effort by the, the far left to demon, demonize law enforcement and to act as if uh, law enforcement is the problem is going to result in, in an actual reduction in the professional standing of law enforcement officers. Many good law enforcement officers have elected to retire or, or seeking other career opportunities. Many, many fewer young people are interested in entering the profession because of how it's been portrayed in, in, popularly in, by some media organizations and others. And so you're exactly right. At some point, these agencies will have to reduce their professional standards. Many already are doing that yeah, merely yeah. To, to meet the need demand for staffing. And so you're going to have a, uh, you know, a bit of an ironic reduction in, in professionalism in law enforcement as a result of this movement. Yeah, situation only gets worse. Um, Jason Johnson, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to talk with you. Thanks for uh, your insight. Thank you, sir. Good to be with you. All right. Jason Johnson. Uh, all right. One more chance to uh, to take the poll. Text the word poll to 67742. You'll get a link to the question is, what do you believe is the most significant contributing factor to the violence and lawlessness that is causing leaders like the mayor of Miami Beach to sound the alarm? Is it guns? Is it the lack of job opportunities, the lack of educational opportunities? Is it a loss of national morality built upon religion? Or is it the COVID-19 pandemic? Or is it something else? Text the word poll to 67742. All right, you didn't think I wasn't going to give you my thoughts on this. Um, but looking through, what really jumped at me was, yes, this thing in Miami where the mayor is uh, declaring a state of emergency, saying we can't do this any longer. Uh, he said, you know, we don't want spring break here. And there's just random shootings. I mean, it's, it's I don't know. Uh, it, 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 there's a loss of morality in this country and a loss of the value of human life. Uh, you know, for those that may be new to the program, I spent uh, 10 years in law enforcement, was in the Marine Corps. I, I understand all of this. I worked in anti-terrorism. So look, I'm not a, I, I've been there on the streets. I've seen this. I've seen the shootings. I've been there on the streets for the violence. I get it. But now it's everywhere. I mean, th one of the things that uh, in Washington, D.C. that's been happening are carjackings, record numbers of carjackings that are taking place. But here's what is startling about this, is that it is 14-year-olds, 12-year-olds, and even 11-year-olds have been charged with carjacking, armed carjacking. In fact, shooting people and killing them. What's behind this? You know, some say, well, they were, they were boxed up for two years during the pandemic and they, they were, they just seen desperation. They, they, their families lost jobs. I get all that. And certainly that's a factor. But I'm going to bring it back to what I believe is really driving this. And that is, we have lost our way as a nation. We have lost our moral compass. And we've done so because we've pushed God and morality out of the public square. Our schools don't have it anymore. We, we can't allow God into the schools. Ten Commandments, gone. Prayer, gone. Bible, gone. Been gone for years. But now even the morality that's connected to that is not allowed. And that shouldn't surprise us. We go back to our very president. I, I really love this speech, and it's been studied historically the world over. Not so much no, not so much today, but George Washington's farewell address to the nation. 
where he says, of all of the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. And he goes on to warn, don't think that you can have morality without religion. And that's where we are today in America. We thought, those in positions of authority thought we could have a sense of morality without religion. But the reality is we can't. If America is to return to being a civilized, safe nation, we have to return to a sense of morality that is rooted in the Christian faith. Well, the results from the poll, 89% of you say that it is a loss of national morality built upon religion. So you're with me. Well, together, let's do something about it. Let's stand firm for the faith, not be silent about the truth, and stand boldly, no matter what the cancel culture or anyone else might do. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6. He says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 